It's a joy to be in the assembly this morning with you. Thank you for the song service and the prayers, and I know that we've all been edified up to this point. We have one more service in this gospel meeting. It'll be this afternoon. I'd like to announce uh, my title of that lesson and encourage you to come back for the closing service. It's, uh, I'm going to talk about Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. And uh, hopefully we can, you and I can make this an application in Paul's prayer to the Amaryllians. And uh, we can benefit from that. This morning I'd like to talk to you about a subject that I believe of vital importance. And that is the local church. Talk about commitment and dedication to the local church. We find that God purposed this congregation here. This morning, you and I are meeting as a group of his children coming together and assembling, but this is happening all over the world. My grandson is uh, going to take communion this morning for the first time in his life. He was baptized last night back home. And uh, this is the case with all of us. We're all coming together from many different places into one body, and today we have assembled in this building today as a group of God's children coming together. God purposed this. This was all in his forethought and in his plan of many coming together to become one, and here we are today in one assembly, worshiping God, and in a few minutes we will participate in remembering of his suffering and his death around this table, and we'll eat together. It's the purpose. God purposed the local assembly, and I've got a chart here. Many of you have seen this probably many times, but this is a, a chart of the local churches that existed in the New Testament. And where they're found at in the New Testament, you've got Antioch, Corinth, Centuria, Philippi, Ephesus, and so on and so forth. You can read the chart. All of these are different congregations of the Lord's church meeting in different, uh, different places. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. Now that's not said in a denominational tone. I, wanna, I want to make that clear. When he says churches there, he's talking about the assemblies of the church. The assemblies of the church of Christ salute you. The local churches, wherever they're located, whether it be in Rome, whether it be in Corinth, Galatia, Amarillo, McMinnville, Tennessee, all of these congregations, many different people coming together to make one body. But yet, this local church is foreordained by God. Some of the things that are necessary for a local church to exist is membership. Without it, we wouldn't have any local congregation. What do we mean by membership? Membership is simply the fact that you want to be identified with a local group wherever you're meeting. And you count yourself as a member of that body there. The local church has to come together in one place and to form an assembly and the work goes out from that congregation of people and I'm simply a member. I'm a member and I count myself as a member of the local church in McMinnville, Tennessee Though I'm an evangelist and I have the opportunity to work universally among many churches, but yet I identify with a local work. 
And I have to do that. In Acts 20 and 28, we learn that in order for this local work to exist, elders is in God's plan to oversee this work that, that comes out from a local place. This is all part of God's plan. We see examples of that with the Apostle Paul where he joined himself in Acts 9, 26 through 28 with a group of people where he could work with that group of people. And even though he was an apostle, he still joined himself to those people and he worked among those people. I encourage you to count yourself among the group here that you are going to work among these people and you agree with them in the sense that you can work with a common goal and that is actually the membership. Now your membership in the body is a totally different thing. Christ places you in the body. But you still decide the local congregation or the local work where you will uh, perform in this body. And that's why we call it a membership, if you will. We find Apollos had joined membership in Acts 18, 27. Phoebe is mentioned in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2 uh, of the church at Centuria. So there's many examples of that. It's an absolute necessity. Now, if there is no membership, then there is no local congregation. And without membership, then eldership would be a moot point also because there's nobody to shepherd, nobody to lead. God has taken many different people from many different circumstances, placed them in one body among many different congregations. And we work under the oversight of the eldership wherever in congregation that we're working with and working under. And we are a member in that. God purposed the local church, and we might look at it this way. Uh, the church in McMinnville, Tennessee, and the church in Amarillo, we are common in the fact that we're in Christ. And Christ is the head of the body, so therefore being uh, in the body, then we all fall under in subjection to Christ. Subjection is a difficult thing, especially for uh, people like me and you. <laughs> and the fact that we have our ideas and we have our mindset of the way things should be done, but let's all understand wherever we're at in this body and where God places us as lively stones in this body, then we fall under the subjection of Jesus Christ. Let's never forget why we meet as a local church. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And the failure arises so many times when congregations come together and they forget what they're about. Our purpose, then, is to fall under the leadership of Jesus Christ, for it's in him that we live and move and we have our being, and our very existence hinges upon him. God gave a plan for the local church of, of leadership, of teaching, of membership, Titus 1 and 5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Two different applications there. There's things that are needful, and there's a guideline of leadership. And the teachers. We have teachers in the local church. 
I think that we always see when we look and study the local church, we see uh, a mutual edification. We see many people offering their talents, their study. We see these men that are willing to become teachers and stand before us and to mutually edify each other that the body can be built up. We see deacons, men who would walk, work under the leadership of the elders as a uh, functioning arm of that elder, and of those elders, and elders who are responsible for our soul. And that will take on that responsibility and lead and guide. And it's our responsibility then as members, whether we are a deacon, a teacher, or a minister of the gospel, which all, men, all members of the church become ministers of the gospel. And when we fall under that, then it becomes our responsibility to submit. And that's difficult for people like me and you. But we have to have a mindset of submission. And allow those who are responsible to assume that responsibility and to be accountable, accountable to God for that responsibility. But I have a responsibility too. It's easy to view the universal church and overlook the importance of the local church. I love to go to the brotherhood meeting. Haven't been able to go the last couple of years and that's just really bothered us. A lot because that's something that I really miss and something that I want to do. But you know, uh, getting together in a universal sense like that where I see so many different people from uh, the brotherhood all over the country and everything, that is so encouraging and so delightful and all. And it would be easy to get caught up in, in those things and forget the fact that I've got a responsibility in McMinnville, Tennessee. And you've got a responsibility in Amarillo, Texas. Sometimes I'm reminded of my responsibility in McMinnville, Tennessee through uh, obscure circumstances and through unexpected circumstances. I want to tell you about a jewel of our congregation. <laughs> Her name is Jewel. And I tell people she's a jewel. <laughs> In every sense of the word, but Jewel is a widow woman. She lost her husband several years ago. But learning her past experiences of life is even more important that we recognize our responsibility. For Jewel has not had an easy life. She was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and she was raised in the projects in Nashville. Now, being in the, living in a, an environment like that, she didn't have opportunity that many of us have had. She moved and married her husband and moved to McMinnville in that area there and lived in that community all of her married life. But to be frank with you, and she shared this, her Married life was not what you'd hoped for. I'll just leave it at that. She's been without a husband now for several years. We really didn't know her. 
she would visit the congregation from time to time. She had friends that went to church there, and we tried to get Bible studies with her, and she'd decline. She was a little bit shy and a little bit backward. Then we had a gospel meeting one year. It's not been too long ago. And she was converted. She started coming to this gospel meeting and visiting, and she was converted. She was baptized. Jewel's life has never been the same. She went from not having a family to having a family. From people that cared, from living as a widow woman in a little house where she might see somebody when she went to pay her bills. To a family that really cares about her. I have a responsibility to Jewel. I, I have a responsibility to her. And, and I want to tell you, I believe that in this assembly this morning, there's probably some jewels. There's some valuable, valuable currency. <laughs> and I hope you, you get the, the, the reference that I'm making where the woman in Luke 15 that represents the church. The church is always represented in a female gender in the scripture. And here this woman representing the church, she loses a coin. This coin is valuable, but yet it's out of circulation. And she sweeps and she finds that coin. Let us never quit sweeping our house, searching for that jewel. Well, Jewel is, uh, today, she's a very happy person. She, told, she tells us, she says, I just can't believe I missed all these years. And she, and, and, uh, she always wants to keep up with me. I want to share this with you. She always wants to keep up with me wherever I'm going. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Amarillo, Texas. She said, how long you won't be gone? I said, well, it's a seven-day meeting, Sunday to Sunday. She said, that's a lot of sermons. Have you got that many? Are you ready, she said? This is what she said. Are you ready? She knows me, see. And I said, well, Jewel, I said, I've got two sermons ready. And, and I said, the problem is, she said, two? I said, yeah. I said, I'll just preach them over and over and over again. I said, the problem is they heard them the last time I was there. But that's Jewel. I have, a, I have a responsibility to her. I have a responsibility to other people. I'm accountable to my local brethren. Now, I want to remind you this morning, and part of the purpose of this lesson is to us to see the value of the local church. First of all, it's a family. We're a part of the family of God. As we have agreed and we see the necessity to come and to assemble together and to worship God together, we have a responsibility to each other. Now, people have a responsibility to you. Yes, indeed. But let's remember that it's not about you. You have a responsibility to people, too. 
And if everybody will see that I have this responsibility, and first and foremost, I am subject to Christ, and he is the head, and what he says goes, and why we do what we do is because of him and not because of me, then our congregation can be pleasing to God. What are we accountable to? I'll tell you what, I'm accountable to Jewel to attend. I need to be there for her. Hebrews 10, 25, everybody knows that verse if you've been to church over once or twice. <laughs> Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need to remember why. It's not just so that I can be fed, but so that I can feed other people. That I can encourage people, I can edify people. Let's not forget that our attendance is part of edification. If I'm not there, Jewel misses Robin. <laughs> and she'll want to know why. I have a responsibility to her. Now, she's just one in our congregation, I'm responsible to everybody, and you are too. And that's the point. I don't have any right to just pick out one person like my wife. Yes, I'm responsible to my wife. But I'm responsible to everybody in that congregation, and you are too. I'm responsible to attend. Secondly, I'm responsible to consider. I need to consider you. I need to be thoughtful of you. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The reason, one of the reasons why I am to attend is so that I can provoke in you love and good works. It's not just to be fed myself, but to feed other people. You have that responsibility as a member of your local congregation. I encourage you to assume that responsibility, to take it, claim it, and own it. This is my responsibility. It's not Craig Kills or Kerry Jones's or anybody else's. It's mine. And I will be held accountable for it. If I'm going to consider you, I need to know what that means. It means think about, regard, be thoughtful, look at closely, turn over in mind, observe fully. I had a meeting a few years back in a church, and I will remain nameless, but at, at the end of the, of the meeting, I got together with uh, the leadership that existed there and wanted to go over some things and, that I observed in the meeting. And working among this group because they didn't have elders. And I feel a necessity as an, as an evangelist to do that with a congregation that does not have elders. And to point out things that are wanting. One of the things that was wanting in this particular group, and it may not be so uh, much of an abnormality, uh, sadly, but there was only one man in the whole congregation that knew where everybody lived. And he was a postman. Think about that. He was the only one. Now, if I don't know where my brothers and sisters that I 
go to church with, where they live, I'm probably not thinking about them very much. I'm not considering them very much. If I don't know where they live, how can I tend to their means if they, if they, need, if they need help? One of the agreements that we came up with at home that we decided, and I would suggest this for you in your own personal life, uh, is uh, if a member of your local congregation is sick and hospitalized, somebody's going to visit them. And if I'm not thinking about them and I'm not considering them, then I can easily overlook that. And if they're not at church and I'm not thinking about them, I'll never miss them. We are commanded to consider one another. And that means to think about, to regard, to be thoughtful, to look at closely. All these other definitions that are listed. And the reason? To promote love and good works. The reason is not so that you can be glorified, but that Jesus can be glorified. That's why. We need to be able to wear one another's shoes for a while. And that's all part of the consideration. Matthew 7 and 12 teaches us the golden rule, which is whatsoever you would that men do to you, do you even also to them. The golden rule is that you will act in such a way that you want to be treated. Now that's a basic principle that we've been taught our whole life. But let's apply it. Let's apply it to our work in the local church. Wear somebody else's shoes for a while. Philippians 2 and 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. That is a consideration of each other. I think it's interesting when we see the prophet that's taken out of the king's house, if you will, and placed in the middle of the working class. And he writes, I sat where they sat. Sometimes we need to sit where they sit. We need to look at each other and we need to consider each other what they're going through. This is all part of our responsibility and commitment and dedication to the local church. Now, if you're not going to do that and you've resolved in your mind that you're not going to do that, and if everybody did that, if everybody did that and said, I'm, I'm only concerned about me, you will cease to have a local church. We need to be able to try to understand. There's not, there's not a great deal, a number of people that, that attend where I attend uh, primarily in McMenville. We've got about 50 people that meet there. And uh, in these 50 people, I see all different levels of people. I see some that are very schooled in the scripture. Some are very schooled in their discipline of their life and some that are not so. All different levels of development. Let's understand that we're not all on the same level of understanding, all on the same level of development. After all, if we're a body, this body continues to develop and to grow, doesn't it? Certainly. 
And as we develop and grow, let's understand that we need to give the benefit of doubt to each other. Give the benefit of the doubt to your brother and say, maybe he doesn't understand something the way that I understand it. And maybe, and, and you know, it's possible. I mean, just for the sake of discussion, it's possible you could be wrong. <laughs> it's possible. Not likely, but possible. We need to be able to see the differences in people. We have people in this little congregation back home, and I'm certainly not trying to present our congregation as a model, model congregation. We need to look in the scripture to find that and not in McMinnville, Tennessee. But we have people in this country congregation back home of different races, of different background, of different cultures. We have all that in a small group. And, and it makes me think that we're doing something right because we're reaching out to the community. And if we're not reflective of our community, then we may not be seeing the differences in people. You see, this is not about creating a body that looks like me. <laughs> Thank goodness. This is about creating a body that looks like Jesus. We need to be able to consider one another. Furthermore, we need to always remember that we are striving for peace and unity. Romans 14, 19 says, let us, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify one another. You know, we have a choice, and we've talked about choices all week, but we have a choice. We can choose a battle all the time. If we want to. Or we can choose to strive for unity if we want to. I can choose to try to tear you down to make myself look better. Or I can choose to try to edify you. Let us pursue for those things which make for peace. Let's work toward peace and unity. Let's put a, a genuine effort in it. We need to learn to work together, much like Paul illustrates in 1 Corinthians 12, of the body. And the eye is not the ear, and the ear is not the foot, and so on and so forth. But we all work together. We all have a purpose. And that purpose is to edify the body, and the body is to look like Jesus and to act like Jesus. I need help. I do. I need edification. I need, I need people to consider me. And you do too. It's essential to any relationship. And we only solve problems through communication. The relationship of a husband and wife is the next thing to our relationship with Jesus. Paul says that our marriage between our husband and wife is like the church. Now, if I decide that I'm not going to communicate with my wife, it's not going to be long until there's problems in my house. I need to let her know my needs. 
And I need to be seeing about her needs. A congregation of the Lord's church, the local church, is no different because we're part of this body. We're part of the bride of Christ. As we work and strive together, let's, let's take this essential element of a relationship, and that's communication. That's why when Jewel gets on to me about get, not getting her a DVD uh, of one of the sermons that was preached, and she says, you still hadn't got that for me, I'll tell her, Jewel, I'm sorry. But I sure appreciate your communication, and I'm going to get on that as soon as I can. And I'm not going to be offended at that because she's communicating. And we should not be offended when someone tries to tell us their needs and and all of a sudden our selfishness arises and says, well, what about my needs? What have you done for me lately? Have you ever heard that? What if, you're, what if you uh, adopted that principle with your husband and your wife? It's always one-sided, and it'll never work. We need to forbear one another. It's one of my favorite words. <laughs> it's forbear. Because it means to hold up. I tell people that, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, it's obvious. You can look at me and uh, I'm no silk purse. I'm more like a sow's ear. And I know that. And there's not a whole lot you can do with a sow's ear. But Robin will hold me up. She'll protect me. She'll defend me. She'll tell me that I look nice because in her eyes I do. She'll tell me, when I need to do something with my hair or whatever. And she, because, you know why? She's holding me up. She wants me to be presentable. Furthermore, if I mess up, she's going to find some way to defend me in that messing up. Now, I'm not talking about condoning. Don't misunderstand me. She will not condone what I've done, especially if it's sinful. But she's not going to let somebody else beat me down. You get it? Now what about our relationship with each other? When we start talking about each other and we start beating each other down, we're not in this relationship that's going to forbear. Forbear means to hold up. I want to defend my brethren. I want them to defend me. Because I want them to give me the benefit of the doubt. You know why I want them to give me the benefit of the doubt? Because I'm I'm really innocent in a lot of my mistakes. And you are too, aren't you? We don't have this malicious attitude of trying to be destructive. The only way then that I'm going to get by with some of this stuff in a gracious manner is I, somebody has to forbear me and say, you know, Mark messed up. He said some things that he shouldn't have said, and he conducted himself in a such a way that he shouldn't have conducted himself. But you know, I believe in Mark, and I believe that he's trying to live the right kind of life, and I want to help him. 
That's the way we are with our spouses that we love. Let's be that way with each other. I've got two little grand boys, and you've heard a little bit about them, but uh, they're three years apart. And I want to tell you what, I've never seen two boys that's as close to each other in my life. Uh, I asked uh, Noah, the oldest, and not too long, or, uh, too long ago, uh, I said, uh, Noah, I said, you want to come over to my house and spend the night with me Friday night? He said, well, he said, I'll look on my schedule. And uh, I'll see what I can do. He said, but what about Eli? You think he can come too? I don't know. I said, well, of course you know I could. <laughs> of course he could. Same way with fishing or anything like that. They're always, they've got each other's back on that. They want, they want to share with those things. I offered Eli a coin not too long ago, a little old coin. I said, I think you deserve a coin. He said, well, granddaddy, he said, I believe I've got plenty. He said, don't, Noah don't have many, though. Why don't you give him one? Somebody's doing something right with that. What about you and your relationship with the folks here at church and your brothers and sisters in this body? You doing something right? What about seeing to the needs of your brother and your sister? I'm good shape. What about them? Let's take care of them. Let's forbear one another. Let's defend each other. Let's act like we were brothers and sisters in the flesh. And if somebody in the world wants to come and beat down on us, let somebody go to their rescue. Just like you would on a playground when you were kids. And I'm not talking physically, obviously. I'm talking about spiritual. The world wants to beat us down. And if we're not careful, we will allow it. But if I forbear you and you forbear me, and I recognize these differences of development, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, then we can grow stronger together and we can serve God together where our body looks like Jesus. Let's not be so stubborn and self-willed. Titus 1.7 says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. What does that mean? That means not to refuse to yield. This is not a dictatorship. And you're not the dictator and I'm not the dictator. And I may have a, an idea and and have a will towards something, but I can't be afford not to ever yield. I need to be able to listen and to work things out and to communicate, not to be stubborn. And lastly, we need to be kind and forgiving. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's probably one of our more difficult tasks to do is to forgive each other. I think forgiveness is a very difficult thing, unless you're the one that needs it. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? And we're always wanting to be forgiven, but we're never wanting to forgive. 
Somebody says, you don't know what he did to me, or she did to me. You don't know. Don't take this the wrong way, but I really don't care. That's not what it's about you. It's It's not about you. We've all been wronged. Every one of us have been wronged. Even the small children have been wronged. Because we live in a wrong world. And it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Do you want Jesus to forgive you? Then you need to forgive. And forgive each other. And work toward forgiveness. The Lord said that if you will not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, we talk about salvation being conditional, and I truly believe it is, and I believe baptism is a condition for salvation, and repentance is a condition for salvation, and confession is a a condition for salvation, and forgiveness is a condition for salvation. If I'm not forgiven, I'm not going to be saved. Furthermore, if I don't forgive, I'm not going to be saved. Because God will not forgive us. But he says, that's hard. I know it. It's hard because of our self-willed. It's hard because of our pride. And it's hard because we fail to see our own need of forgiveness. But it's there. And we have a need of forgiveness. Let me give you a suggestion on how to forgive. Look at it as a debt. Somebody owes you $10 and they don't pay. You'll always be aware that they never paid you that $10. You'll always be aware of that. You've got a brain. But the difference is this, in forgiveness and being aware of it, is if you owe me $10 and you decide you're not going to pay it, I have one of two choices. I can get mad at you. And I can hold it against you and say he's a scoundrel and he's a cheat and he's a liar and he's a thief and I can't stand him and I'm not going to have anything else to do with him or I can forgive you. I've got one of two choices. And the way that I forgive you in that is say, you know, I release you from that debt. I know you owe it. I know that you did owe it. I know that, and God knows that you owed it. You know that you owe it. But you're not going to pay it, and I'm not going to destroy my life by holding these things against you. So I'm going to release you from that debt, and I expect no $10 from you. That's how you forgive. And we find that in the parable that Jesus tells us of the man who owed all that money and then wouldn't forgive the man who owed him a little bit of money. You can decide to do that. But as long as you are expecting something of some kind of payment for what was done to you and how you were wronged, you will never forgive. 
I've heard people say, well, I'd forgive them if they'd just come forward in the church and repent of their sins and make a confession. Yes, I understand it was a secret thing that nobody don't know what he did to me, but I know what he did to me. And he needs to go down to the aisle and he needs to roll forward and do tumbles. And he needs to do all these things and make all of these demands and say, if you'll do that, I'll, and if you'll weep, I'll forgive him. I'll tell you what you've done there. And we'll use the $10 as an example. You've just replaced the debt. So now it's not $10. It's now it's doing circles and cartwheels and weeping is the debt. You haven't forgiven anybody of anything. The only way to forgive is to release the debt. And whatever you're expecting, quit expecting it. And so, yeah, I don't expect this debt to be from you. Yeah, I will acknowledge that you did me wrong. But I'm not going to hold it against you because when I hold it against you means that I'm still expecting something and some kind of payment. It's one of the hardest and most difficult things for us to do and one of the easiest things for us to receive. We all want forgiveness, but we don't want to administer it. If we're going to grow as a local congregation, and uh, trust me, this is not pinpointed at this congregation. This is universal. This is in every congregation I've ever, ever been in my life. There's a need for forgiveness. And I know that because we're all in need of forgiveness, every one of us. I stand before God imperfect in my own flesh and in my own life, and I desire forgiveness. I have done wrong against people, and I recognize that. And if they will not forgive me of that, then that unity and that peace will never be acknowledged and vice versa I have to administer that to other people as well this morning I encourage you first of all let's take the responsibility that we have in this local church let's make it a personal responsibility this is not somebody else's local church this is mine I have work to do here I have people to see about. I am responsible to people. This is not just an elder's job or just a deacon's job. This is my job. Let's take that and let's make it personal. Secondly, let's walk in each other's shoes. Let's try to, let's try to set where they sat. Let's not be so quick to write people off, but to be kind and tenderhearted. The local church was purposed by God. If you're not a member of the local church and working in the local church, I encourage you to do that. To count yourself as a part and a part of the work and to be a part of the work. To see the work that needs to be done and then take and have, have the, the muscles in your loins to gird yourself up and go to work you're here this morning and you need forgiveness from Jesus he offers that and he will place you in the body and you can go to work in the body and you can be a thriving member of the family of God and our responsibility to each other will help you grow and to develop and mature so that all of us every one of us can be a body that looks like Jesus if you're here this morning, we can help you. Won't you come? As together we stand and sing.